Today we hear singing before we hear grumbling. Israel is free from their Egyptian slavery, but now they have to learn to trust God to provide for them. On The Bible Brief. Did you know that The Bible Brief is a listener-supported show? Consider becoming a monthly supporter at our link in the show notes. The first five books of the Bible are not just the stories of a people who were made promises by God and who were saved by God. These are books with a direction, a direction toward a person and a place, a direction that's not only characteristic of the first five books, but especially all the other books that look to the end of the story of the Bible. All these point to the same king and the same place. We've already gotten a glimpse of the king that these books point to. We've seen that they point to the promised seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This man will come, and he will crush the serpent while being given a death blow himself. He will bless all the nations of the world. And late in Genesis, we also found out that he will be king over Israel, with all nations bowing down to him. This man is coming, and he's going to be king. The place, however, has not yet been a big focus of the story so far, but it's a place that's going to matter for the rest of time. It's a place that God has picked for himself, near the location where Abraham bound Isaac for a sacrifice. Perhaps more famously, however, it's the place where that priest king of the Bible resided. Remember that man Melchizedek who blessed Abraham? Well, he was from the city of Salem, later called Jerusalem. So we have a king and a place, both of which are alluded to by Moses in a song celebrating God's victorious warring over the forces of Egypt. In this song, Moses recounts the deeds of Yahweh and sings about God being a mighty warrior. But after looking backward, Moses looks forward at what's to come. He looks toward the nations that they must defeat as the nation heads to Canaan, and he speaks of those nations trembling from hearing about the plagues. But then, He gets to that king and that place as he speaks of the king who is also God, reigning on the mountain in Canaan. Let's listen in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 14. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in, and you will plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Israel is headed to Canaan, where God will pick his place and install himself as king. This is the direction of the Torah, and this is the ultimate direction of the entire Bible. But here, with this little comment, it's just a little foretaste of what's to come. It's just a small comment that will come to anticipate future events in the Bible. But it's a small comment that we don't want to miss. Let's keep reading in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. 
they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which is related to the Hebrew word bitter. And the people of Israel grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Three days prior to this, Israel had been saved from too much water, as God made a way through the Red Sea. But now, just a few days later, they complain because of too little water. We see here that the people grumble or murmur against Moses because of their thirsty state. Despite the appearance of the water at Marah, there was something about the water that made it undrinkable for its bitterness. And so the people again start to despair due to their thirst. Moses becomes the target of their ire, and as we'll see, this grumbling doesn't stop with this event. Yet even though the people grumble against him, he yet intercedes on their behalf, going to God and crying out to him for a solution. God answers, and his solution is an odd one indeed. We read, Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. If it weren't for the context, this would be rather funny, and maybe it is to us as readers from afar. God just says to Moses, you see that log over there? Yeah, just toss that into the water, then the water will be fine. We might get tempted to begin thinking of the potential chemical composition of the log that God showed Moses, or how some natural function of the wood was able to make the bitter water sweet. But if we go there, we miss the point of the story. The people of Israel perhaps didn't realize something about God yet. The same God who delivered them would sustain them in that deliverance. Bitter water is no challenge to God. After all, he had just split the sea in two. Even in bleak circumstances, God can miraculously provide. Here, however, we can't miss something else either. Remember that God had been leading the people with pillars of cloud and fire. He had led them to this spot. He had led them to the bitter water. Because it was here that he was testing them. Listen to the next sentences. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. God is previewing something here that's going to be ever more important here in the wilderness. Yahweh is testing his people. He's proving out their belief in him, and their proof will be in their obedience to God. He commands, and they show their faith through their obedience to his commands. This testing and these commands are just the beginning. But just after the bitter water comes the oasis. After a bit more travel, we read this. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees and they encamped there by the water. This text could have just told us that there was an abundance of water and lots of shady trees. But God wants us to notice something more. It's twelve springs of water and seventy palms, numbers particularly associated with Israel. Remember, Israel was made of twelve tribes, and those twelve tribes came to Egypt initially as seventy people, over four hundred years ago when Jacob moved his whole family to Egypt. This oasis at Elam, then, was a further example of God's provision for the people. Just as he provided the log for the bitter water, 
he provided the oasis, symbolically showing that he was providing exactly what the whole nation needed. All 12 tribes originating from 70 people. At Mara, God provided with a miracle. At Elam, he provided with natural springs. Whether miraculous or natural, all the provision was from God. But the water isn't the only thing that God provides in the wilderness. After about a month into their travels, the people begin grumbling again. And this time, it's about food. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Apparently, they didn't learn their lesson with the water. Grumbling again ensues against Moses and Aaron, while the people dramatically portray their lives of near starvation in the wilderness. They say that life in Egypt was better, because at least they had meat and bread on the table. How quickly we humans can forget the real difficulty and the great deliverance from former hardships when new ones arise. Yet even with this new grumbling, God provides. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke, the whole congregation of Israel looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God is going to miraculously provide again, and this time it's going to be meat and bread. And so that these grumbling people have no excuse knowing who provided, he somehow shows a special evidence of his bright glory in the cloud leading them. But don't miss that this is a test too. God is going to see whether they will walk in his commands or not. And this time, his command is going to have something to do with the sixth and seventh days of the week. Let's keep reading. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Yahweh provided his people quail in the evening and grain in the morning. 
A bread that we come to find out was white and was like coriander seed with a taste like wafers made with honey. It's described almost like a pastry. Perhaps if you've ever had baklava before, it might have been something like that. But this bread was called manna, meaning, what is it? And it came with some rules, too. The people of Israel were to collect this manna daily for six days of the week, but not on the seventh day. In fact, on the sixth day of collecting, God would cause there to be double the amount of bread available so that it could be consumed on the seventh day of rest. God was beginning to set apart the seventh day as a day of rest for His people. Just as He had rested from His work of creation on the seventh day, so His people would rest on the seventh day from all of their work. They were to enjoy what was called a Sabbath rest. Now, do you think they listened? Do you think they followed God's rules for this manna bread from heaven? Let's listen. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found no manna. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. You can sense the anger of God here. He's delivered these people, and he's provided for these people, but they still yet resist following his instructions. If they truly believed God, and if they truly trusted that he would provide for them each day, they would follow his instructions. But disobedience has a way of demonstrating unbelief. Each week, for the next several years, God would provide this what-is-it bread to the people of Israel, miraculously providing six days a week with abundance for eating on the Sabbath day of rest. It was daily bread, daily provision, requiring faith in God for each day. It's no wonder that later in the Bible, in his most famous prayer, Jesus teaches his disciples to depend upon God like these Israelites in the wilderness. He said that one should pray, Give us this day our daily bread. God provides and will continue to provide. But will the Israelites trust God and obey Him? Join us next time as we see a new miracle for Israel before the newly freed nation sees its first battle. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023